Before I start this week's Financial Crime Weekly podcast, just a quick note of thanks to the photographer who took the photograph, which adorns the cover art, and that's Sora Shimazaki at Pexels. Let's crack on. Hello and welcome to the Financial Crime Weekly Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Kirkbride. Good range of stories this week. Lots on sanctions, money laundering, fraud and corruption. There's also a roundup of the cyber attack news making the headlines. The principal documents which are mentioned in the podcast are in the podcast description. Let's start with sanctions. And this week in Ukraine, where the president... Vladimir Zelensky has issued a presidential decree sanctioning around 200 people with connections to Russia. The special economic and other restrictive measures are applied to, amongst others, Russian diplomat Yuri Ushakov, a close ally of Putin in matters of foreign economic policy, and Andrei Chernichuk, who was appointed by the Russian company Rosatom as the general director of the Russian-occupied Zaporizhia nuclear power plant. To the European Union now, where the bloc is proposing a new set of sanctions, which, it is rumoured, will include technologies and components used in Russian weapons deployed in Ukraine. The statement issued this week by the President of the European Commission, Ursula von der Leyen, provides, first, we propose further export bans worth more than 11 billion euros to deprive the Russian economy of critical technology and industrial goods. For maximum impact, we are targeting many industrial goods that Russia needs and that it cannot get through backfilling by third countries. Vital goods such as electronics, specialised vehicles, machine parts, spare parts for trucks and jet engines. And we are targeting goods for the construction sector, which can be directed to Russia's military, such as antenna or cranes. Second, we will further restrict the export of dual-use goods and advanced tech goods, We propose controls on 47 new electronic components that can be used in Russian weapon systems, including drones, missiles and helicopters, and on a specific rare earth materials and thermal cameras. With this, we have banned all tech products found on the battlefield, and we will make sure they don't find other ways to get there. This is why, for the first time ever, we're adding third country entities to the Russian dual use sanctions. Iran's Revolutionary Guards have been providing Russia with Shahed drones to attack civilian infrastructure in Ukraine. Therefore, we're now adding seven Iranian entities to our dual-use regime. They are now under a complete ban to sell sensitive items to Russia, and we stand ready to list further Iranian and other third-country entities that are providing sensitive technologies to Russia. This should act as a strong deterrent to other companies and international traders. The sanctions will also target those who spread propaganda about Russia and the war in Ukraine. The link to the full statement is in the podcast description. We'll stick with the EU for the next bit of news. I mentioned Rosatom in relation to the sanctions which have been imposed by Ukraine. Well, we reported in the Financial Crime Weekly podcast issues or episodes 41 and 42 that the EU was planning to sanction Rosatom. Well, it seems that those plans have been spiked because agreement could not be reached with bloc members. 
Hungary was central to that failure. Of course it was. For those interested in learning about the UK Office of Financial Sanctions Implementation now, there is a free webinar being held by OFSI at the end of February entitled Understanding OFSI, an introductory webinar. It will take place on the 28th of February 2023 from 10am to 11am and the link to the sign-up is in the podcast description. And finally this week, in response to the truly devastating earthquake affecting large parts of eastern Turkey and western Syria, several jurisdictions around the world have issued licenses permitting humanitarian aid to be provided to areas of Syria affected which would otherwise be subject to sanctions. That's it for sanctions this week. Let's now turn our attention to fraud in the week of St Valentine's Day made-up nonsense. There are reports all over the press this week about the dangers of romance fraud. Data from Action Fraud, released by the Liberal Democrats, which, for those who don't know, is a United Kingdom political party, identified that there were over 1,000 reports of romance fraud in London in 2022, with an eye-watering volume of losses for the three years to 20, from 2019 to 2022, amounting to almost £317 million. The figures have led to calls for more regulation and tougher punishments for offenders. A report in The Guardian provided a typical example based on research from the charity Victim Support. One 39-year-old woman received a message on Instagram from someone purporting to be from the, Rus- uh, the US military. After chatting for a couple of days, romance blossomed and he told her he loved her. He then started asking for money as he said he wanted to leave the US military to be with her, but needed to pay money to get out. At first she sent money, losing £4,000 to him, but then she became suspicious. Link to the Guardian story is in the podcast description. Now I suppose, uh, link to this, in that it's, it's a type of fraud, but there's an interesting story this week um, on a conviction for CV fraud, which I've written a case note on for the Journal of Criminal Law. Uh, This time it was Zulia Alemi who forged her qualifications and managed to work in the UK's National Health Service as a psychiatrist for 20 years. Alemi was found guilty of 13 counts of fraud, three counts of obtaining a pecuniary advantage by deception, two counts of forgery and two counts of using a false instrument. This is another example of the increasingly common phenomenon of CV fraud. Last year, CFAS, the United Kingdom's fraud prevention community, released research which revealed that one in 12 Brits have lied about qualifications on their CV. I've linked to the story of Alimi's conviction together with the CFAS publication that I just mentioned in the podcast description. Now, for our next story on fraud, we go back to our old friend fraud on the Bounce Back Loan COVID-19 Recovery Scheme, where the Insolvency Service has announced two sets of action. First, Kulwinda Singh Sidhu has been sentenced to 12 months imprisonment after pleading guilty to offences under the Companies Act and the Fraud Act. The court also imposed a confiscation order to recover the £50,000 that he claimed under the scheme. And secondly, Thomas White has been banned for 10 years for fraud on the Bounce Back Loan Scheme. Links to both stories are in the podcast description. And finally, 
The Home Office in the United Kingdom has released the minutes from the Joint Fraud Task Force meeting, which was held on the 21st of November 2022. The link to the newly released minutes is in the podcast description. Now our attention shifts to money laundering. We start this week that, once again, Ukraine has urged the Financial Action Task Force to exclude Russia from the body, and that is the Financial Action Task Force, and put it on the blacklist of high-risk jurisdictions, along with the likes of the Democratic People's Republic of Korea, Iran and Myanmar. This is not the first time the expulsion of Russia from the Global Money Laundering Agency has been in the news following Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Indeed, there were reports in March 2022 that the FATF was set to expel Russia, but that obviously didn't happen. I guess we wait and see. To Spain now, where a new anti-fraud bill has included the Falkland Islands and Gibraltar among those countries and territories considered to be tax havens and, in consequence, allegedly involved in money laundering operations. The list is 24 long and contains a number of familiar faces. Sticking with tax havens and the EU has announced the addition of Russia to its list of tax havens. Now, the next story is one I missed from the week before, but it's important enough, I suppose, to mention this week, and that is that the Judicial Committee of the Privy Council, which is based in the UK but is the final court of appeal, the highest court of appeal for many Commonwealth jurisdictions, as well as the UK's overseas territories, crown dependencies, and some other, uh, some minor matters. Well, it has determined that Jamaica's anti-money laundering legislation, which was amended in 2013 to include attorneys, legal professionals carrying out certain activities, for example, purchasing and selling businesses, land, or creating trusts or companies, is compatible with the Jamaican constitution. The claim had been brought by the Jamaican Bar Association, which considered that the changes made in 2013 were unconstitutional. If you want to read it, the link to the advice to His Majesty is in the podcast description. To the UK now, and after a bit of a break, the Gambling Commission is back in the spotlight because it has announced the Blue Star Planet Limited, which trades as 10-bet, has been fined £620,000 for failings relating to its social responsibility obligations, as well as for failings in its anti-money laundering regime. The public statement relating to the fine is available in the podcast description. Now that's it for money laundering. Now we shift to regulatory enforcement. This is a story which I saw across the news lines last week, but I didn't bother to report it because there was nothing firm and there was certainly nothing on the Financial Conduct Authority website. However, it's back again this week and it's been mentioned across a multitude of different news channels. So I thought I might as well mention it in the hope that more information is forthcoming from official channels and not just nods and winks. Anyway, the story is that Barclays Bank in the UK is under investigation by the Financial Conduct Authority, which is, which is concerned about alleged shortcomings in the bank's compliance and anti-money laundering procedures. The failings were described in some quarters across some aspects of the press as persistent. Frankly, I really want some official confirmation of this story instead of all the range of secret soundings that seem to have been given to various people in the press. 
When I checked on this story officially for the first time on Tuesday morning this week, there was nothing on the FCA website, and my final check later this week couldn't see anything either, so we wait. Perhaps there'll be something next week. And finally, in the US, the Deputy Assistant Attorney General Lisa Miller has delivered remarks on regulatory enforcement. The link to those remarks is in the podcast description. Now, we don't always get a lot on bribery and corruption, but there's been a decent wedge of bribery and corruption news this week. We'll start with the continuing probe into the European Parliament, which has caught another member of that Parliament, this time Mark Tarabella, a member from Belgium, in the investigation. Tarabella has been charged with corruption, money laundering and participation in a criminal organisation in the probe which has been undertaken. The pre-trial hearing took place on Thursday this week. A safe deposit box was raided and the allegation is that Tarabella may have received up to €140,000 in bribes. In Italy, the former Prime Minister Silvio Berlusconi, remember him, has been acquitted by a Milanese court on charges of bribing witnesses in an earlier trial where the charges related to underage prostitution. He's been found not guilty of bribing 24 people to provide false testimony in the earlier trial. In the UK now, the government has announced that Lady Arden is to be a new independent member of the Committee on Standards in Public Life. Lady Arden has had a distinguished career in the law, spending more than 20 years as a Justice of Appeal in the Court of Appeal and latterly as a Justice of the Supreme Court. Uh, That was until her retirement in January this year. Her term on the committee started on the 13th of February. The Committee on Standards in Public Life is an advisory non-departmental public body which provides advice to the Prime Minister on arrangements for upholding ethical standards of conduct across public life in England. The link to the press release is in the podcast description. In Jamaica now, the Prime Minister, Andrew Holness, has had the spotlight put onto him following publication of a report which alleges that there is a potential conflict of interest concerning his involvement in the award of construction contracts. Jamaica's Integrity Commission has referred the case to the island's Director of Corruption Prosecution. In Japan, Shinichi Uneo, former head of ADK Holdings, the ad company, has admitted to charges of bribery in a broader scandal concerned in the selection of sponsors for the Tokyo Olympic Games. And finally, on bribery and corruption this week, this one just got under the wire, The U.S. Department of Justice has released an indictment which charges a couple of individuals, the first being Glenn Ostermel and a dual Brazilian and Italian national, Eduardo Ineco, with conspiracy to violate the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act, that's the FCPA, conspiracy to commit money laundering, three counts of violating the FCPA, and two counts of money laundering. The FBI continues to investigate the case. The link to the U.S. Department of Justice press release is in the podcast description. Now this week, we turn to the wealth of cyber attack news which has been reported across various news agencies. We start with something we touched on last week. It's the Munster Technological University. We'll engage specialist services to track any data that may leak online in coming days after it was granted an interim injunction from the High Court. 
The injunction is intended to prevent the sale, publication, possession, or other use of any data that may have been illegally taken from their systems. MTU is seeking to enforce the injunction as far as possible across the internet. To that end, it's engaged specialist services closely to monitor the internet for any possible leak of data. Now, despite all that, later this week, the university announced that some of the data had found its way onto the dark web, so I suppose at least the monitoring of the internet is up to scratch. Hackers believed to be linked to the pro-Russian groups took several NATO websites down this week, leaving the NATO Special Operations Headquarters website and others of the organization temporarily inoperative. Succession Wealth, the well-known financial advice provider, has announced it suffered a cyber attack this week. The firm was purchased by the insurance company Aviva last year. Let's hope that Succession Wealth had cyber insurance. Follow-up on a bit of news that we mentioned in last week's Financial Crime Weekly podcast, and that is the cyber attack on Oakland City in California. Well, this week, the impact was still being felt in its online systems, and the city has officially declared a state of emergency. We'll stick. Actually, yeah, we'll stick with the U.S. The Bridgewater Raritan Schools District in New, Zer New Jersey has been the subject of a cyber attack which compromised personal data of employees, including their social security numbers. The attack actually occurred in December 2022, but it was only reported this week. To Europe now, and SAS Airlines, the Scandinavian airline, has been hit by a cyber attack which affected its app. The company was advising customers not to use the app. And sticking with air travel, seven airport websites in Germany were subject to a cyber attack earlier this week. It was a DDoS attack. That's a distributed denial of service attack. The Moroccan news agency, uh, the Maghreb Arab Press, MAP, has been targeted by another DDoS attack this week. Now, the next story indicates really, no matter how lofty you may be, you could be the subject of a cyber attack. This news relates to the Federal Bureau of Investigation in the US, the FBI, which has had its systems attacked, a cyber attack which affected apparently only its New York field office. In Norway, the Haugsund Municipal Pension Fund has revealed that it was subject to a cyber attack last summer where hackers sought to withdraw funds equivalent to 3.5 billion Norwegian kroner, I think, which is equivalent to around 322 million euros. They successfully managed to defend themselves against the attack. They fought it off. And thankfully, given the sums involved, they'll be delighted that they've done that. Now, a couple of things that might be interesting to anybody in to anybody who works in cyber. First, the European Systemic Risk Board has announced this week that more needs to be done to protect institutions against state-sponsored cyber attacks, which have seen an uptick since the Russian attack on Ukraine. And finally this week, useful bit of information from law firm Pinsent Masons. The information relates to ransomware risks. Now, I've linked to this in the podcast description, frankly, because it's worth reading for anybody who works in compliance or law enforcement, particularly those who work with a focus on ransomware. 
That is it for this week's episode of the Financial Crime Weekly Podcast. If you want to do so, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and you'll hear from me again, all being well, next Sunday with the usual roundup of all things financial crime. Thanks very much, everyone. Have a great week. 